The Old Testament lesson for the fifth Sunday after Trinity is from 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts... Regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the gospel. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. 
Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. By the time Elijah found himself on this mountain, observing the earthquake and the wind and the fire and then listening to that still small voice, by that time Elijah had been through a lot. We met him two chapters earlier in 1 Kings chapter 17, and the beginning of his job as a prophet in Israel was to go to the wicked king Ahab, who was, by all accounts, the most wicked of them all. He went to wicked king Ahab and he said, there's going to be a famine, a drought in the land. No rain will fall until I say so. It's not a very fun job for a man like Elijah to have, and things did not go well for him. Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel went and rounded up all of the prophets they could find, and they killed them. There was Elijah who was left, wandering around in a foreign land, and then there were a hundred other prophets who had been hidden by one of the king's servants, Obadiah, in some caves. He fed them, Obadiah did, he fed them with bread and water, just hoping to keep them alive until maybe God would rescue the land from the wicked hand of Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah wandered around, ministering to people who were not Israelites. He wandered around until one day he was sent back to declare war on the false gods that the people of Israel were worshiping, the false gods like Baal and Asherah. So he went to Ahab and he said, let's have a contest. You call all of your prophets, those prophets of the false gods, and I will call on my God, the true God, and we will see which God is stronger. How long, he says, how long will you people go back and forth between these two sides? Just pick a side and stick with it. Let's see which God is stronger. So on the top of Mount Carmel, Elijah stood, and 450 prophets of Baal stood next to him. And they built an altar, and they called out to Baal, and they thrashed themselves, and they fasted, and they wept, and they called on their God, and nothing happened. Not even a spark to consume their sacrifices. And Elijah made fun of them. Maybe he's taking a nap, 
that false god of yours. Maybe, maybe he's off on a trip. Maybe if you keep on calling, maybe if you call louder, then he'll come and do something miraculous. But nothing happened. So then Elijah said, it's my turn. And he rebuilt on top of Mount Carmel an altar to the true God, to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he took the bulls that were to be sacrificed and he put them in the altar and then he doused the whole thing in water and then he doused it again and then he doused it another time. And then he called on the Lord and said, Lord God, send down fire from heaven to consume this sacrifice. And at Elijah's word, at his prayer, fire came from heaven and licked up even the water that was pooled around the altar. And then he said to the men who were standing around, the men of Israel, gather up all of these false prophets, these prophets of Baal, and kill them. And they did it. They executed 450 prophets of Baal that day. And then Elijah said, look in the distance and you'll begin to see a cloud forming on the horizon. And he said to Ahab, you better get back to Jerusalem now before the storm comes, because the rain is on its way. The drought is over. And in the strength of the Holy Spirit, Elijah grabbed up his garments and he took off running and he ran faster even than Ahab in his chariot. He got back to Jerusalem and it rained and there was relief in the land and you would think, you would think that at this moment everything was going great for Elijah. That all his hopes had been met, hoping, hoping that eventually the people would turn. That God would act, that the people would be saved, that Ahab would be put to shame, and it seemed that that is what had happened. How could there be anyone who would deny the true God now? How could there anyone be anyone who would rebel? And yet, at the beginning of chapter 19, just the passage right before our Old Testament lesson, Queen Jezebel, wicked Queen Jezebel, said, I see what you did there, Elijah. God do so to me and more also, if you live another day. And she said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And Elijah had to run in fear. Just like that, all of his hopes that he thought fulfilled, all of his hopes dashed, his expectations in smoldering ruin. And Elijah sat in the wilderness and he said, I better die. I'm no better than my father's. Things are going exactly the way things have always gone. Lord, it's enough. Let this be the end for me. But it was not enough for God, and so God called Elijah to this mountain. And in the thundering, and in the wind, and in the shaking of the earth, and in the fire, God did not show him his presence. But then, in that still, small voice, God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah complained about his dashed hopes. I, even I, only am left of all the prophets that there are. No one else listens to you, God. This world is a ruin. What is there left for me? God said to Elijah, you're not alone, and even if you were, I'm not done yet. You're not alone. There are 7,000 I have kept who have not knelt down to Baal. There are 7,000, and there's some work yet to be done, so quit feeling sorry for yourself and get on with it. And he gave Elijah a job. And Elijah went and did exactly what God told him to do. And the message was handed down from one generation to the next, and here we are today hoping in the same God that Elijah hoped in, hoping in the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hoping in a way that won't be disappointed, expectations that won't be dashed. That's what we're here about today. Elijah had it wrong for a time. 
He was measuring things the wrong way. He was hoping, if you will, he was hoping in too little. God had something much grander, something much bigger in store, and that is what God wanted Elijah to see. That's what he wants you to see today. Now, the reason for all of this background is not just because of our Old Testament lesson, but because Elijah is a great example of what Peter is addressing in our epistle lesson today. Let me read for you again that last verse. He says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope, the hope that is in you. Elijah was, for a time, hopeless. The things he had hoped hoped in let him down, and there he sat, hopeless. But Peter presumes that you all are hopeful. He presumes that you have something to hope in, something better than the hopes of this life. In fact, that's how St. Paul puts it. He says, if we have hope in Christ for this life only, to the end of your days, till they lay you in the grave, if it's for this life only, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Christian hope is not for this life only. It is not merely, as Elijah hoped, that everything will work out, that the kingdom will be restored, that the king will listen, that the people will all do what they're supposed to do. That is not Christian hope. Christian hope does not depend on the circumstances of life. It cannot. That is far too little. And so think to yourself about all of the things that you have hoped for, or the things that you hope for yet. The things which are far too little to be satisfied with. I hoped for a better job. I hoped for a better marriage. I hoped to have enough in retirement. I hoped that the kids would still come around. I hoped that my health would hold out. I hoped that I wouldn't grow old. What have you hoped for? What have you aimed at that was far too little? Circumstances of this life. Things that will eventually let you down. Things that can't hold water. Even very pious things like Elijah. I had hoped that people would believe. I had hoped there'd be more than 7,000. I was hoping that the prophets wouldn't get killed. I was hoping there'd be more people in the pews. I was hoping that everyone would be happy all the time, aiming for far too little. Earlier in his letter, Peter said what we should hope in. Listen to what he says. According to his great mercy... God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's a key word, living and not dying. Hoping in something that lasts and not in things that fade away. Hoping in something permanent and not in things that can be taken away. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A living hope. Hope in Christ himself, who was raised from the dead. Anything less than that is far too little. Anything more worldly-minded than that is fading away. Hope in the resurrection. That is our starting place. Now, that does not mean that the things along the way for which you hope are no good. But they cannot be everything that there is. Listen again to what Paul says. If 
in Christ we have hope for this life only, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Let your hope not be for this life only. That would be like taking a trip somewhere and hoping to get to your destination. So you know where you're going, you get in the car and you're on your way, but then you stop at the rest stop and you get a Snickers bar from the vending machine and then you think to yourself, hey, this, this place is pretty good. This rest stop is pretty nice. I've got bathrooms here and I can get a cup of coffee and I can get all the Snickers bars I want. Maybe I'll just stop here too little. It's hoping for too little. All of the blessings that God gives you in this life, they are rest stops along the way, but they are not your final destination. They are not your permanent hope. They are not the treasure that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And so, do not be like Elijah. Set your hope on what will not fade away. Set your hope on the resurrection that comes through Jesus, who has given you the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. St. Peter describes that reconciliation, that forgiveness, he describes that as coming out of darkness and into light, which I think he says in his letter because he has in the background this story. He certainly remembered being called by Jesus to follow him. And what had he been doing? Lord, I have been fishing all night and I have caught nothing. Now, if you're a worldly-minded person, if you're a professional fisherman, that's the time to fish at night in the dark. If you want to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee, that's what you're going to do. Lord, I've toiled all night and caught nothing. But what does Jesus tell Peter to do? I'm here now. It is day. And so let down your nets and see what you catch. And Peter caught more fish than he'd ever seen before, more fish than he could handle, more fish than he wanted, frankly. They were breaking the nets and they couldn't fit them in the boat. That's what you get in the daytime. Peter called out of darkness and into light. You have been called out of the darkness of this world, out of the rebellion of sin, out of death and the grave. You've been called to eternal life, to daytime, to light, to hopes that do not fade away, not moonlit hopes that you can barely see, things that come and go as the clouds cover the moon, but sunny and shining and bright. Those are the hopes you've been called to. Peter wants you to be reminded of that continually, and that's why we come to church, because the world is full of these false hopes, and the devil loves to play this trick. You'll you'll endure, I think, one of these silly examples, but it was like in uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that the story? Yeah, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. When Indiana Jones comes into the temple in the opening scene, and there's this little gold statue sitting on a pedestal, and he comes in with a bag of sand, and he quick switches out the gold statue for the bag of sand. That's what the devil loves to do for you. You've got these permanent hopes, these glorious hopes, these undefiled, unfading hopes from God in the resurrection of Christ. The devil wants you to look at temporary things, things that are fading away. Don't let him do that. Peter assumes that you have this hope, and it is a glorious thing. But notice what else he assumes. He assumes, when he says that you should be prepared to give a reason for your hope, he assumes that other people will be able to see it. That your hope won't live just inside of you, but that it is something that the world will be able to see. I used this illustration earlier in the week, but it's been sticking with me all week long, so I want to, if you've heard it all once already, that's okay. You can hear it again. What Peter's talking about here is the difference between being the kind of person who sits on the seashore making sandcastles and hoping 
hoping that his sandcastle will withstand the waves that come and lap against the shore. Imagine that, a whole crowd of people, let's call them kids, a whole bunch of kids sitting on the seashore building their sandcastles, hoping that their sandcastle will be the one that withstands the waves. And what happens? Inevitably, the waves come and there's terror and screaming, no, not my sandcastle, my sandcastle has been washed away. That's what it is like to hope for things in this life. But St. Peter thinks that you're going to be different. That you're going to live in such a way that people see your hope is different. And so you are like somebody walking along that seashore while all of these kids are building sandcastles that are being washed away by the waves. And you're walking along with stones in your hands. That you're going to set down to build a castle that will not be washed away by those waves. And that would stand out. Here's everybody with little tiny plastic shovels, building and scooping and hoping, packing things tightly, hoping that they won't get washed away. And you're just lumbering along, splashing through the waves as though they're no big deal with stones in your hands that nothing can take away. The one who is doing that, who is not petrified of the waves, who's not hoping in a sandcastle, the one who does that is noticed. That's a hope that is visible. That's a hope that can be seen. And that's what Peter wants you to do. He wants you to be the kind of person who builds with materials that will not wash away. And he wants you to be the kind of person who ignores the waves that are lapping at the shore, washing away the hopes, the false hopes of this life. And he wants you to be the kind of person who expects, who expects that what you build will last for eternity. So the stones that you build with, your starting place, is faith and love. It's the forgiveness of sins received from your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ that you then extend to everyone all around you. Did you notice what Peter's talking about when he says you have a hope? What he's talking about is life together. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now that's outstanding. That's something that is noticeable in this world. What does everyone else do in this life? What goes around comes around. You get what you give. You deserved it because you did it to me. Why did I hit you? Because you hit me first. That's what everyone does in this world. But St. Peter says, you're going to do something different. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Instead, bless. Now that stands out in this world. That is noticeable. That is a hopeful thing. Think about how hopeless it is if your life consists of repaying evil for evil. It is hopeless because what you're basically saying is that evil will win in the end. And so I'm going to put my stock in evil. Sin will win out in the end, so I'm going to put my stock in sin. Death is what is going to win in the end, so I'm going to put my stock where death is. That's life in the darkness. That is hopeless. But you have a hope through Christ Jesus, which says that you can bless even when others are cursing you, that you can do good to those who hate you, that you can love and forgive people who are unlovable and unforgivable. You have been given a gift from God. You've been given hope. And so live according to these words. St. Peter asks you to do something that is impossible, and it's it's only because Christ has already given it to you that you are capable of doing this. And you are also capable of ignoring the waves. So he says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer, even if you should suffer, it's a gracious thing 
what can those waves do to you? Now, if you get all bent out of shape because your shoes are getting wet or because the sand is getting washed all around, then you're going to be upset and you're going to complain and you're going to moan and you're going to grumble. But if you know, if you know that those waves can't hurt you and they can do nothing to what you are building, they cannot change your hope, then you will not be bothered one bit. You can endure without complaint. You can keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Because what you are aiming at is what is going to last forever. Expect it to last. Do not be afraid. Live fearlessly. Now when St. Peter says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? I think you can think of lots of harmful things in this world. But his point is, in spite of the harm they can do to your life now, they cannot ever, they cannot ever take away your hope for eternity. Hope is what conquers in this life. Elijah hides because he has given up hope. And he gave up hope because he was hoping in far too little. And so he hides in despair. He says, Lord, Lord, it would be better if I was dead. Live not according to those words, but according to the command of Jesus. Follow me. Look at who you are following. You're following the one who died and rose again, the one who conquered death in the grave, the one who forgave all your sins, who loved you in this way, that he gave up his life for you, the one who continues now to feed and fill you with every good thing, who has promised to give you whatever you ask him, who has promised to bless you and never forsake you. That's the one you're following. And so if you follow him, your hopes will never be put to shame. Those are the kinds of hopes we should cling to. All other hopes will be put to shame. People who hope in earthly, worldly, temporal things, they are always put to shame. At best, we can say, oh, look at what they loved while they were here, but now it's all gone. Not so for you. Look at what you love now, the word of the Lord which endures forever, a Savior who has given up everything to redeem you. You will never be put to shame. Praise God and put your hope in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.